K C A A. Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 10:50 a.m., 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California, and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning into the Water Zone Show this evening. Happy New Year to everybody across the country, and welcome to the Water Zone. I'm Rob Starr, along with the fantastic Mr. Chris Davy co-host of the show, and uh, Chris, I haven't, I've, I've talked to you since the year, but we don't sound any older. We don't talk any older, do we? I think that's a great way to look at it, Rob. I tell you, it's been, what now, three weeks since we've uh, been live uh, uh, on the air and doing the show. It just happened that, that Christmas and New Year's fell on a Thursday, so we didn't do a broadcast, but it's great to be back. Absolutely, and there's lots, lots of stuff happening in the water, uh, water world, and we're going to be talking to a couple people uh, today through that. But uh, anything new you're looking forward to? Any resolutions that you made for this year? I found out, I've discovered over the years that uh, that if I if I uh, you know soak myself up enough to um, to uh, to develop resolutions, I generally let myself down as much as. Uh, as much as I stoke myself up, so I try to be pretty reasonable about it. Uh, yeah, I I know. I mean, everybody always says, you know, they, they go make these resolutions, but probably seventy-five to eighty percent never never complete whatever they're. That, that's all right. I that's right. I I stick to one, and that's uh, keep breathing. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's that's it's it, it, sometimes it's hard, but you got to concentrate. Make sure yeah. it happens every day. Every day. Uh, but uh, I, 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 I'm just worrying what's going to happen in the world, not only with water, but everything else and how everything's going. You know, this, you know, when you look at the uh, the news about how much co- how much this new COVID COVID variant is 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 cropping up every single day, gets a little nervous, and a lot of people more are going to stay home, and and uh, it's going to be a different world for a while. Yeah, I, yep. I, I heard I heard the government's going to send us masks. Masks as well. That's what I heard today, but we'll see. I don't need any more. I got tons of them, and uh, so I got a whole collection. So <laughs> we got these KN95s, the KN35s, and all these other ones. But uh, you know, I, I, you and I both know we were at a, we were at a meeting last week, and and you know, a lot of people came to to our sales meeting, and uh, a lot of people went away, and a lot of people got COVID, even though they had the shots. So. You never know. Just uh, we wish everybody stay healthy and uh, do whatever they they deem is necessary for their own self and family, and, yeah. and uh, we want we want them to be happy. Anyway, we got to bring on somebody who we haven't talked to in three weeks, and she's a fabulous Maven's Notebook leader. Her name is Chris Austin. Chris, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, and I'm going to tell you, I actually love New Year's because. Um, I, I do make resolutions, and I do try to keep them. I think it's a great opportunity to think about the past year and how I could be better, how I could be a better person, because I, 
I'm always striving to be better. So I'm actually really like, uh, I really like New Year's. And I think there's a, there's a Jewish holiday. And I'm sorry I'm not that versed in the Jewish people, but um, it's, I think it might be Rosh Hashanah where they go to the temple and they think about their past year and think about everything they did wrong and, you know, resolve to be better. And um, I, I, I just think, man, wouldn't we all be better off if we all personally took a day and thought about our lives and, and what we have done and how we could be better in them? I think, and so for me, that day is, you know, this that day is New Year's. So, you know, so I always well, try and it's an opportunity for me to up my game, uh, up well, my game know, every year. You're, you're you're absolutely correct. The only problem I have with with those things is that when I stop and think of all the bad things I did, I get really depressed. <laughs> it makes me really sad of all the things that I, I, should, I should have done, and you know, and, and I feel I feel really bad for a long time after that. It's not just the day I'm thinking about it. It lasts the following <laughs> years. I, I gotta get over all of that uh, all of that guilt, but. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it is. I, I think that people stop and reflect on, on their lives and, and, and understand, you know, the things that they could have done better to people and be nicer to people, be more courteous and things of that sort. I know I get a hot temper sometimes. My wife says it's lately a lot, but I, I have a short temper now. I, and uh, I, I don't think I've ever been like that but or have been like that for a long time. But but you're right. It's 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 something that we should all think about hard, and, and how how can we improve ourselves? And I think that's going to make a better life, and and also make you healthier. So yeah, exactly. Can... I'm always yeah. into up in my game. And speaking Absolutely. about up in my game, it looks like Mother Nature has decided to up the game on the snowpack because uh, man, it it's pretty nice up there. It's huge and uh, lots of water and Boy, we're all excited about that here in California. The uh, the unfortunate thing is that I think it's really kind of taken a lot of pressure off the people. It's kind of like if you were out of work for a long period of time and you spent up all your savings and then all of a sudden someone comes along and they say, I'll hire you and now you're getting full income for uh, a month, you're you're really excited because you got a whole stack of money, but that whole stack of money doesn't make up for all the savings that you've depleted. And in the California water world, that would be the reservoirs, and most importantly, it would be the groundwater basin. So while we're all happy to have the precipitation in the mountains. Uh, we do have to keep in mind that it's just it's just a down payment. And what's really important at this point is that the storms and the cold weather continue because we've had wet Decembers in the past and then blue skies from January to April. And, you know, the snowpack is great now. It's a you know, really healthy percentage of what it should be and, and in record-breaking in some instances, but if the snow doesn't continue to fall, uh, we're, we're going to end up on April 1st not in a good position. So no one should ever think that the drought is over, although yeah. it's 
really nice. And full reservoirs are are just one aspect of what, you know, that the drought payment would be because we have depleted groundwater basins. So, you know, the reservoirs are sort of the liquid part of the portfolio and the savings portion is the groundwater basins and they have been depleted. Uh, even with uh, the groundwater management uh, that has been in place for a few years, uh, there still was a great depletion of the groundwater basins uh, to get through this drought this last year. So, you know, we're not out of it yet, although we, sh it, you know, there is reason to be optimistic, but, you know, we still need to be vigilant. Yeah, so Chris, yeah. let me ask you this, because, you know, Rob and I watch very carefully, <clears throat> you know, the reports that come out of the state of California weather reports, and especially the stuff that's released by uh, Mike Anderson, the state climatologist, and all that stuff, you know, it's not... It was a bit of a surprise to get a wet December like that. I don't think initially it was predicted to be that wet of a December. I mean, good news and all that stuff, but I don't think it was predicted. And then we're looking at long-term predictions. I just looked it up before the show. So the next 90 days, January, February, and March, essentially, <clears throat> still looking look, look like they're going to be drier than normal. So, man, I mean, it's just hard to predict it, Chris, isn't it? It is, and they're really trying to get better at the long-range predictions. And I do think that they are a little bit more accurate for, you know, the next three to four months, uh, you know, unfortunately. And they're trying to get even better, you know, can they predict if next year will be wet or whatever. So there's a lot of attention in this aspect of, of it. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know. It, it it doesn't look good at this point in terms of what it shows and and again we've been here before uh, nice wet December and we were all jumping up and down and then blue skies come in January and they just continue. Uh, well, you know, you know the, the, the the drought forced lots of cuts to the the farming industry, like almost twenty five percent last year. Uh, and, and a lot of them are expecting they're not going to get any water, you know, this coming year or next year. That, that's a scary thought because that's that's a huge portion of the of the money generated here in, in California. Well, agriculture as an industry doesn't play a, a a big a big of a portion of the state's GDP as it used to, but. Uh, you know, the farming industry plays a, a big, important position in, you know, putting food on our table. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, here in the United States, we have, you know, we're fortunate in that we don't have to pay so much for food, I think, because so much of it we generate here. But, uh, but yeah, food costs are going, and, and food is going up, but, yeah. The reason why we can all live in the city and do what we do is because there are farmers out there on the field making that food for us. <laughs> uh, food doesn't come from Walmart. It, it actually comes from, you know, farther than, than that. And, you know, sometimes I think 
you know, we, we need to keep this in mind. If the farmers can't farm, then food is not being produced, and we eat that food. So, you know, yep. farmers play a key role, a key role. And they're businessmen, you know, so they're trying to get through this too. But last year, they pretty much got no water except for those with the most senior rights. And everyone's sort of sitting on the edge of their seats to see what happens with this year. But it was a hard year to be a farmer last year, and we'll, we'll see. You know, if the wet weather continues, then great, we're, we're on track. But if the skies stay blue for the next for the next three months, then, uh, yeah, it's not going to be great. And, yeah. you know, and we really got to hope that the worst scenario is that we get a whole bunch of warm, warm weather that warms the mountains and causes all that big, beautiful snowpack to melt, and then it will rush down the rivers and the creeks and it will flood. <laughs> so, well, let's, you let's know. hope we can keep it cold, that's for sure, right? Yeah, yeah. So well, we're going to want cool temperatures and, and more precipitation. Yeah. So flipping the coin over and looking at the other side of the coin, right, the water water restrictions that were put in place. I know that <clears throat> Governor Newsom called for whatever it was, 15%, I think, voluntary water reduction. But and I haven't seen December's numbers yet because uh, I don't think they've been reported. But but I know that July through November, we, we only were down 6%. So 6 out of 15, that's 40%. So the state still got to do some work on conservation. Well, yeah. And, you know, to that end, the state water board, uh, I think uh, the beginning of January, approved uh, some of the emergency drought regulations that were put into place that, that are, are just really common sense, like... You know, you can't like you can't wash a car and and have an open hose. Now, I don't know anyone who ever does that, but apparently they needed to pass the law to make sure people didn't do that. Um, you know, this idea of you know not not run, running your sprinklers and not allowing it to you know water the asphalt you know, outside your home, or yeah. you know this. Yeah, runoff, or worse yet, you know, when sprinklers get broken and they put up a fountain that waters no landscape but just dumps water into the gutters, you know, things like that. Um, you know, they put in they put into place these emergency regulations, which will now be part of, uh, you know, going forward, they're permanent, which basically are common sense things, I think. But I guess somehow you have to you know, specify these things. Yeah, there's a lot people. of there's a lot of things that are specified in that. I think you know, basically looking at the fact where where again, this is the State Water Resources Control Board. You know, putting I mean, there's some teeth in some of these restrictions, right? I mean, like not being able to water 48 hours after any precipitation whatsoever. You're just not allowed to do it. Um, runoff is another thing like that. Um, and there's there's fines. I mean, you know, I read the I read the the text pretty closely. It's 500 bucks per uh, infraction. Not not that reg that there's a bunch of regulators out there, you know, <laughs> water police looking looking for this. And I think that uh, any any 
finds that I've seen come through have been pretty rare, to say the least. So. And I think that's going to continue because, you know, 48 hours after, after it rains, then well, you're going to have people patrolling the streets, seeing people who are running their sprinklers. Right. But then right. the flip side of that is that if you have a weather-controlled irrigation device, which I'm sure Toro has, uh, you know, something like that, uh, then that would know that your water, you didn't need the water, and it wouldn't water for you. And a lot of, you know, so many people are getting these smart controllers these days. So, you know, then you're kind of protected in a sense. You know, that's that's not going to happen. Yeah, it does it for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, so listen, Chris, back at uh, Lake Oroville again. We've talked about that in past shows in the past. Um, are we back to making power there? Yes, the rate, the lake levels have risen uh, to the point where they can generate power now. So uh, we do have power coming from Lake Oroville, which is great. Um, and you know, the there's water in the you know the precipitation is you know put some water in Shasta and Oroville, so it's looking pretty good up here in terms of water level. You know, given where we are and given where we've been, um, so you know it's looking good. We're not really having to spill water for flood control, but the reservoirs are filling up. Um, and being able to generate power is a great thing. And you know, you have to remember too that these dams, they you know they just can't hold on to all the water that flows in. They they have to put waters in the rivers. You just can't dry up the Sacramento River or or the Feather River, you know, and just say there's no no more water flowing down cuz we're filling the reservoir. So, you know, they still have to put that water out, but it's great that they have uh, you know, water coming in and they're filling up kind of nice. So, it's a good thing. Good thing. Yeah. But what about, you know, such topics for a little bit. I, I still understand from what I when I read, there's like 380,000 people that are still getting bad water, bad drinking water because of arsenic and chromium and, and nitrates and stuff. And, and I know UC Berkeley had done a study about that. What, you know, we've been talking about this for years. What What is the state doing about all of these things? That's a lot of people getting sick mm. on bad water for a long time. It just seems like it doesn't go away. No, it doesn't. Although the state has enacted uh, the Safe and Affordable Drinking Water Program, which is funded at uh, $1.5 million a year. They kind of can't go out and attack everything at once. But, uh, yeah, there there are a lot of issues with uh, drinking water in a lot of these predominantly rural and farm worker communities. Uh, you know, if you're on a domestic well, you don't, there's no one really regulating the water quality in, in your water and you're just pulling up that water and using it. So that's, that's a bit of a problem. And then there are these smaller water systems that are too small to really be regulated. And, and there's a lot of, you know, regulated smaller utilities that just can't serve water that is uh, drinking water regulation compliant. It's a, it's a tough issue. There's a 
lot of things in the water in the Central Valley. Not all of them are there because of the farmers. Arsenic is an example of that. Arsenic is naturally uh, occurring in the sediment. So, you know, you can't blame the farmers for that, although there are things that, that are there as a result of farming, such as nitrates and fertilizers and things like 1,2,3-TCP. But again, a lot of that comes from legacy farming. So, you know, the the farmer you see out in the field plowing is not necessarily the farmer that caused that problem. But, you know, but a legacy of farming in the Central Valley has created a lot of contaminants in the water. And it's a, you know, it's it's an issue. But there are a lot of programs underway that, you know, with the Central, I mean, with the State Water Board uh, to address these issues. But, you know, it's, it's very widespread and it's hard to... Uh, hard to fix right away. One of the things that the State Water Board has is the ability now to consolidate water systems. So if there is a water system that's small that can't meet requirements and it's close to a city, uh, the State Water Board can order the city annex that water system into their system and serve them better water. And uh, that there's been a number of those that have you know, happened uh, with you know the state water board has been able to order that. So does the state does the state help fund that? Because sometimes it can yeah. be uh, okay. Because that could be a really yeah. costly process of uh, you know getting to the where the other water is or transferring what they got. Yeah, th- there is state funding for that, and they're you know really the the state. Of California passed the Human Right to Water Bill a few years ago. Can't remember exactly when, but the State Water Board has been one of the agencies that has really taken this charge to heart, and they've really been trying to do what they can do to clean up water in the these Central Valley communities. It's hard because it's expensive, and there are a lot of people, and you know, budget funds are not. Uh, you know, are limited per year, but also, you know, there's just not enough human manpower to address all, you know, 400,000 people without safe water at the same time. I mean, even if we had, it would take a lot of people and a lot of equipment and a lot of stuff to get that done in one year. So they're working on, on it on a phased basis to the best they can. The State Water Board does a needs assessment, and it looks at these communities. And I do feel there's a commitment there uh, from the State Water Board to really get in there and solve the problem. We're going to, next next couple of weeks, we're going to have U.S. Senator uh, Luke Correa on the phone. He's from uh, Orange County, uh, basically Santa Ana area and stuff. And he's going to, we're going to pump him for, information on what what he sees as an issue with water from the state, you know, from from his position at the federal level, and uh, hopefully get some good answers from him. Uh, But yeah, you know, Chris and I were at, uh, I think it was the Orange County Water uh, Symposium a couple years back. Yeah, and they had a uh, video uh, 
teleconference of a uh, state senator uh, talking about the same situation where they wanted the bigger water agencies like Eastern Municipal Water and and uh, Orange County and all, all the big ones to go take over all these little ones that aren't functioning really well. And it was it was kind of a big argument at that time. And, uh, you know, that's several years ago. Was that five, six years ago, Chris, that we did? We yeah, it? yeah, it was, but you're absolutely right. There was a contested discussion. I mean, I thought these guys were going to get their start arm wrestling across the table, right? So Yeah. I think that's why one of them didn't didn't want to come here, come down to the meeting. They did it on uh, right. uh, like like a Skype. <laughs> but but yeah, they've been they've been talking about that for a long time, and and uh, you know because it is expensive to the the water agency that has to help them and take over. I mean, it's just tons, of, and especially when maybe maybe that region where they're going to take over only has maybe fifty people living in it or a hundred people, so they're going to spend millions of dollars. Just to take care of fifty to hundred people, but anyway, that's the way it's working. So, yeah. Any anything it, else on? Go ahead. Well, you know, just remember, folks, the drought is not over yet. No. It ain't. No, no. It ain't over till the fat lady sings that she hasn't even entered the building. So, you know, <laughs> just keep in mind, you know, but be vigilant. And I, I mean, I really think we should use water and and all our resources carefully. Anyways, there's no reason Absolutely. to waste water. There's no reason to waste electricity. You know, natural gas. You name it. We all these things are resources, and we need to treat them as valuable things. You know, and Absolutely. not waste. Them. It does, Chris. Absolutely. I guess I guess nobody adopted the saying, "If in doubt, close the spout." Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. We should bring that up again. By the way, Chris, we 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 appreciate uh, you uh, coming on the show. We I'm glad we we haven't. Well, I'm glad you came on. I'm glad uh, that uh, you're you're doing healthy with you and your family. And uh, we missed you for the last three weeks. And uh, we're going to have to go to our sponsors here. But uh, we want to thank you, and uh, we'll uh, hear from you next week as well. All right. Good evening, everyone. Thanks, Chris. Good evening. All right, we're going to take a little break from a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with our special guest. So stick around for the second half of The Water Zone. This is 1050 AM KCAA Loma Linda and 106.5 FM Yucaipa. They love you. Love you not. They love you. Satisfying your customers, it's a full-time job. Want an easy way to make them happy? Try having your ornamentals delivered straight to the job site with Nursery Direct. Could save you and your clients a pretty peony. Think about it. Instead of driving to the nearest nursery, picking up the order, and then driving to the job site, the crew's able to begin work right away. That cuts time and labor. Savings you can pass on to your customers and you can get your plants delivered direct, even if you don't have a nursery branch in your area. Here's another quick tip. Keep a substitutions list on standby for every project so your team knows what to do in case a plant isn't in stock because there's nothing customers appreciate more than a project that finishes on time and on budget. They love you. They really love you. Aww. 
If you knew there was a pipe cement that works better than the one you're currently using, is better for you and the environment, and costs the same or less, would you buy it? Well, no-brainer, right? Weldon, the trusted leader in solvent cements for over 60 years, is pleased to introduce a new line of solvent cements that does all that. Introducing the Eco-Series line of solvent cements for PVC piping systems. Not only does it work great and set fast, it also has 30% lower solvent emissions and less smelly fumes, a better workplace environment when you're installing pipes. But don't just take our word for it. EcoSeries products are the only solvent cements that are Green Seal certified for environmental innovation for effective performance, improved working conditions, and for use with potable water. Now available in a medium-bodied fast-setting blue formula, 905 Eco, and a regular-bodied fast-setting clear formula, 900 Eco. Pick up a can today from your local distributor and see, smell, and feel the difference, just like Joe Sweat, president of Sunrise Irrigation, did. He said, after using Weldon's 905 Eco, we immediately noticed the application was smooth and there was noticeably less odor than other blue solvent cements on the market. The guys love it. To learn more about Eco solvent cements from Weldon, visit the website at www.weldon.com or call the Technical Service Hotline at 877-477-8327. That's 877-477-8327. This is KCAA. Well, welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone. It's a great to be back. I just, you know, had a break for the holidays for the last three weeks, so uh, we're back in action and uh, raring to go. And we have a great guest tonight, a featured guest. His name is Zach Weiss. And he is a protege of a revolutionary Austrian farmer named Sepp Holzer. And Zach is the first person to earn Holzer Practitioner Certification directly from Sepp through a rigorous two-year apprenticeship. And this led to the creation of Elemental Ecosystems to provide an action-oriented process to improve clients' relationship with their land. And the firm specializes in water retention landscapes that harvest rain to create naturally productive ecosystems. Through Elementary Ecosystems, Zach has worked in more than 25 different countries on six continents. Well, that's a lot of territory. And spanning a wide range of climates, uh, contexts, landforms, and ecosystems. And after a decade of experience in the field, Zach is now creating an online educational platform called Water Stories. And that brings uh, these approaches and techniques to the masses. And in order to revive the health of our planet, you can learn more at www.waterstories.com. So, Seth, uh, uh, Zach, uh, welcome, to, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me here. Really appreciate you guys bringing me on. Uh, we, we, we do. I'm, I'm glad you got a hold, hold of us uh, and, uh, and let us know what you're doing. You know, one, one of the things I'll, I'll just start off what I usually do with uh, our guests is, how the heck did you ever choose to be in this industry? We always want to know the, the story behind what, what gave you the spark to do this. Yeah, great question. Growing up, I always loved nature, and I wanted to find some way to do something positive for nature and also help people in the process. So I started a gardening business that then became a greenhouse business, but it was still very unfulfilling because we were using a lot of artificial materials and developing these expensive systems. And then I came across this Austrian farmer that develops these lovely natural infrastructures where we're shaping the land to receive the natural resources, and you end up with a really productive and really low-maintenance landscape as a result. 
so it's like uh, it's like you're you're creating your own little ecosystem in whatever piece of property that that exists and and, and managing it that way. Absolutely, absolutely. Looking at the goals of the people living there, you know, do they want to grow their own food? Do they just want to have a beautiful landscape? Looking at the resources that that landscape provides, what's happening to them now, and then how can we maximize those things to achieve those clients' goals? All right. Hey, uh, Zach, Chris here. Welcome to the show. I appreciate it very much. Uh, great talking to you prior to the show and getting getting to know you uh, a little bit. I know that uh, you talked to Rob, but I'm looking forward to getting into um, into the meat of this stuff, especially as it relates to something of interest to me, the heat dynamics uh, issue and the whole, um, you know, the whole, the whole bit about uh, climate change and, and how how and why it's affected and the science behind it. But kind of just to start to give our listeners a little bit of background about uh, about you and, and the work you do, kind of give us the, you know, the 30,000 view look at um, your work and, and again, why you're so passionate about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when you look really big picture through development of, the world, humans have had a really destructive impact on our water system, how the land is receiving water, how it moves through the landscape. So we've actually desertified one-third of all of Earth's land in just 10,000 years. Um, But what brings me to this work is all of these issues can be really easily solved with natural proven techniques. Um, And so it's what makes me incredibly passionate about this is that we can take these broken, degraded landscapes that are going through problems with flood or drought or fire, and we can make resilient, strong ecosystems that are healthy for the wildlife, the organisms in that landscape, and for the people that inhabit it as well. Would Would you say, would you characterize the view or the, or the position that uh, you know that you that, that you take and and uh, your organization takes as being like contrary to the climate change guys that are that are out there. Everything we seem to see, Zach, really is blamed on carbon, right, and emissions and and all that kind of stuff. And you know, in in reading this, I mean, not not just from your research, but other stuff that Rob and I have been in in, in uh, involved in, um, there's a counter argument to it that says, hey, it's not. It's not carbon, or maybe not even carbon at all, um, but but really, uh, you know, the the whole heat dynamics uh, of the Earth. So, you know, can you can you kind of expand on that for for Rob and I and our listeners a little bit? Yeah, I'd love to, and a bit about how we got here too, because if you look at the Earth, you know, more than three quarters or more than two thirds of the surface area is water, and water has an immense regulating impact on our climate. Somewhere between 70 to 95% of the heat dynamics on Earth are driven by this water cycle. It's only 4 to 20% that's driven by carbon, the whole carbon cycle, including CO2. Um, So, you know, the conversation is really bottlenecked in carbon and how we need to sequester carbon, how it's causing all these issues. But the early climate models all assumed our impact on the water cycle was neutral. Because the water cycle is incredibly complicated. There's ways that it heats up the planet, cools off the planet. It was too complicated for the computer models at the time. So they said, you know, we can't have had that big of an impact. We'll just call that neutral. 
But then you can hear how we've desertified one third of all of Earth's land in just 10,000 years. So we've had a really big impact. Uh, and it's my opinion and the opinion of my colleagues that the catastrophes we're experiencing, the floods, the fires, the droughts, it's not from the CO2 level of the atmosphere, but it's from our disruption of the hydrological cycle of our landscapes. So, yeah, go ahead, Rob. No, go ahead, go ahead, finish. I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of, kind of putting in my mind and kind of framing it up for the listeners as well, Zach, and looking at uh, maybe uh, if we can define the role that the water cycle plays in in the global climate, right? You can't, you, you know, you kind of did that, but it, you know, everybody's, everybody knows, everybody in this industry anyway, most people in this industry are, are aware of the, um, you know, the the hydrological cycle, if you will. Um, but there's an argument that that uh, hydrologic ecosystems or hydrologic ecologies, if you will, are um, have a more prevalent influence on on uh, global temperatures and all that kind of stuff. So just you know, just taking a part of the of the climate change argument about temperature rising, right? Is that you know how do you see that as as playing off? Is it kind of 50-50 carbon or or 60-40 versus versus the uh, uh, hydrologic cycle. I mean, is there a is there a balance we can look at? Yeah, yeah. You know, it it gets very foggy. No one really has a perfectly clear answer. Right. But from what I've seen and experienced, I would say easily more than three quarters of the extremes we're experiencing are a result of our disturbances of the water cycle. Um, you look at ecosystems, how they're regulating the temperature an amazing amount, 590 calories of heat energy for every gram that any plant is transpiring. Um, so it, the living ecosystem is having an immense cooling effect. But then also we're finding that for water vapor, so water vapor in the air has a really warming effect on our Earth. But when it forms clouds and then rain, it has this cooling effect. And in order for that water vapor to condense, it needs a nuclei to form around. Um, so we're actually learning that even our rain cycles are driven at least 50% by biology, by these bacteria and fungi produced within these ecosystems that are actually making that water vapor turn from a vapor into clouds and then rain, which have this immense cooling effect. Um, so you look at a project like one of my colleagues in India, they've reduced the temperature two degrees Celsius already just by doing water retention and revegetation. So they haven't done anything with carbon. They've already reduced their local temperatures two degrees, offsetting our anticipated warming, and just by working with water and vegetation. Well, when we, you know, another another aspect of it, if I can, I'm sorry, Rob. I know, I know you probably no, got no, a no, question, no. but but you know how interested I, I, I am in this in in this subject, which, by the way, Zach, is why I was uh, so enthused to, to see you come to see you come on the show. But you know, we also we we hear so much on the news about about floods and, and, and the drought and fires and, you know, all this kind of stuff and then becoming more common and, and, and more severe. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, a direct result of our management of the landscape. If you think about the landscape like a sponge, if that sponge is really dry, it's really hardened, got a bunch of hard surfaces, roads and buildings, that water is not able to infiltrate. So you're going to naturally have a flood downstream, but
but then you're also creating the drought and then the fire because that water that would have infiltrated is just rushing downstream. Now compare that to the natural state of the landscape and it's a sheltered, cool, absorbent sponge where all that rain, instead of running downhill, causing flooding, it's infiltrating. And then because it's infiltrating, you're also not getting the drought later on in the year. Um, so whereas the heat dynamics, I can be less confident with the cycles of flood, fire, and drought, I think those are entirely driven by the water cycle and not at all by the change in carbon. So, Zach, would you say that the water that existed here on Earth 100,000 years ago, the quantity of water that existed 100,000 years ago, still exists that same quantity today? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. But our fresh water has been dramatically drained from the landscape into the ocean. So we have the same total quantity of water, but the fresh water in the landscape has dramatically reduced at an increasing rate as well. Okay. So, so by doing these changes to the, the ground uh, or the land where, where it is, it's almost like uh, having its own little watershed area and, and, and how you go about to manage that is very key. As you said, in India, you reduce the two degrees Celsius. That that seems to be a, a big winner that you've, you've experienced through the people that you know. Do you see that being applied more and more around the world or, or just certain people seem to have the head start on that? It's kind of a new thing. Yeah, it's, it's a new thing, but it's really gaining steam. Um, you know, I have colleagues on every continent now doing this type of work. I'd say it's very little known, very unknown. Uh, but what we find is everywhere that we do it, it starts to become a hub because the neighbors see what was done. They see the positive results and then they copy the work. Um, so it has a real tendency to grow in these places once a real living example is established. Right. And, you know, 10,000 years ago when, when people were living on on the planet, you know, water was free. They just go down to the, the river, the stream, whatever, and take what they want. And and even now with the infrastructure in the United States and many countries, it's still a low rate for water, especially here in the United States, where if you compare that to, say, let's say Israel, for example, where water is much more expensive, but people have a different perception of water. They 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 see the real value of water, where I think a lot of people here do not in the States. And that seems to, you know, when you turn the tap on, guess what comes out? Water instantaneously. And the people, I think people are, are very much used to those free things or the low cost things that they expect that it's good. They expect that to be here forever and ever and ever. But that's not going to be true because with all the new people and things that are happening in this world, there's going to be a more consumption of all this water, especially the drinking water. So things, things yeah. have to change. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And it, it actually brings up this anecdote in India that I mentioned where they reduced the temperature. One of the things that caused that was actually the tap coming to everyone. And so they stopped managing their traditional water systems that did rehydrate the ground um, because they had water coming out of the tap. They didn't need to worry about all this work that they were doing beforehand. But then those taps started running dry and they actually had to return to those traditional techniques. So I think you're spot on when we have it coming right out of the tap. 
we take it for granted and we don't do anything for it, then we deplete it and get to a really negative place pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, let's let's see if we can get maybe to the you know to the crux of um, of all this stuff. I mean, we've been talking a little bit here the first last ten minutes. I uh, I think about how you know sort of like the whole hydro hydrological disturbance issue that we've been talking about kind of been set aside as a as a variable in in, in climate models, right? So. Um, and you've, you've discussed a little bit about why that why that is. So when when you talk about uh, the water cycle rebalancing then and elemental eco ecosystem, so let's start to talk about how we can revive that so that water cycle rebalance. Can you kind of give us the you know the the 101 you know college 101 course? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. Yeah, one of the biggest things is just treating the raindrop as it meets the soil. Um, and so looking in a rainstorm, when it's raining, is all the water running downstream quickly to the waterways and in the oceans, or is it going to little areas where it can infiltrate? Um, so the first big thing is just taking water where it's running off and finding areas for it to infiltrate. So if everyone on their home had a little rain garden slid off of their gutters, instead of that water going straight to the street and down to the waterways, it could actually infiltrate into the ground there. Then the next piece is really about having cover for that ground. If that ground is exposed to the sun, it doesn't have a good absorption rate, but if it's vegetated, if it has some shade and some shelter, when it does rain, it can really absorb that. Um, and so just by working on those two things, you can make a really big change in a landscape. You know, I'm reminded of one project in uh, California where we did the work beforehand, the fires came through the area, all of the neighbors burned, but this property was saved because we had infiltrated the water into the ground. And then afterwards, the landslides came, but the water retention bodies that we had made caught all the mudslides, again, saving the house. Um, so you can see how these really simple techniques, just getting water to go into the ground, vegetating land, can really have a big difference when these crises do come through. What do you say? We had uh, a guest on earlier, Chris Austin from Havens Notebook. She talks about the California Water News, and you know the reservoirs can only get filled out to a certain filled up to a certain level for, for several reasons. One, because the amount of weight that that amount of water can cause a problem in in, in the uh, dam. The second thing, uh, reservoir. The second thing is uh, they they have to relieve water to keep it only at, at a certain level. So if it does have precipitation again, it can accept all that water. But when it gets to be at the higher level, they let it out. They turn it to the bay. So if you were looking at a project that, that had that had that situation, what would you do with the water? Would you let it go out to the bay or would you send it somewhere else? Yeah, and you're actually touching on a really big, another key crux of this is that we want these water systems to be decentralized. So in a situation like that, you know, at some point you're going to have overflow and you want overflow. You want rivers full of water and life. But instead of concentrating all the water to that one dam, we would actually seek to infiltrate all that water in the whole watershed that feeds that dam so that in the rainy season when there's tons of water, it's going into the ground. And then in the dry season, water is continuing to feed into that reservoir from what was previously infiltrated. Um, so it's we really want to decentralize these water systems rather than a few huge reservoirs. It's lots of small water bodies 
because then we get this real rehydration and climate buffering impact. Makes sense. That's good stuff. So, so again, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask another question, Zach. Kind of, kind of looking at um, your experience and and what you've seen working in the in, in all those the six continents and 25 countries. And what what's some of the biggest kind of stories you can tell, right? What are the biggest landscape transformations that you you and your colleagues have experienced? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, one that immediately comes to mind is Seven Rivers Restored in India. It's the same project where they lowered the temperature two degrees Celsius. They took seven rivers that had gone dry, some of them for decades. Now they have perennial flow year-round from this decentralized water retention. Uh, 250,000 wells recharged by this work that had gone dry that now have water again year-round impacting a million people, causing the reverse migration back to the agricultural lands because all the young people had moved. And then other situations where we've taken communities that are running out of water, that don't have enough water for agriculture, and just by storing the seasonal rains, we can take those communities to a point where they have plenty of water. And instead of the deep borehole well that they were on, they can now be using spring sources that are recharged by their own retention landscape. Your soil becomes that water. What about some others? I, and, and uh, you know, is your, I mean, I, I know the United States, especially the Western states, are very uh, tuned into some of, you know, the drought issues and climate change and all that stuff. But so is Europe. Anything in Europe that you can uh, that you can tell us about? Any projects there? Yeah, yeah. Um, in Europe, a number of different projects. Um, actually, the, the one I mentioned about the community is in Europe. There's another in Spain that oh, okay. is very very dry landscape where you're basically driving through the desert. They again created 16 decentralized water bodies that restored the cork oak savanna that was growing there. Um, and then my mentor's place in Austria, I think, is the prime example. It's called the Kramaterhof, and it's really, people have called it the Garden of Eden on Earth, um, but it's this amazing, very productive ecological farm. Cool. All right. So, what? And uh, well, there's there's one other thing that I want our listeners to know about, and that's um, you know why you created Water Stories. So, tell us a little bit about Water Stories and why you created. Yeah, yeah. So I find there's just so much work. I can't I can't get to even 10 percent of all of the interest that comes my way, and so. This work is so needed. It's needed all around the world and to happen very quickly. And so we've created water stories to help train others to do exactly what I do. I also get all these young people that they want to do something positive for the earth. They want to earn their living this way. They have no idea how to with our systems currently in place. And so we're very much making a training program for people that want to enter into this as a job or a vocation. And also people that just want to do it on their own landscape or their own backyard. And in that case, we all right. So let's uh, let's do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions here because we got like uh, three minutes left here. So and and by the way, NBC is gonna is uh, is uh, they're not shy about closing us off at, at uh, right at the top of the hour. So I, and I, and I want to give people uh, a chance to listen to you talk about. Um, uh, about so, your the TED talk that you did and where they can learn more about it. So, so, so uh, I, I want to make sure we we get we we give you a chance to do that. But tell us a little about about the TED talk. 
companies are trying to Yeah, yeah. So I did a TED Talk uh, in Bozeman, Montana, really bringing all these issues to light. And I'm pretty sure, I think it's sub 10 minutes or 12 minutes, um, speaking about and showing on the screen as well these transformations. Really, when you experience them for yourself or see pictures, it's really worth a thousand words just seeing the transformation just naturally of these landscapes. Um, and then through Water Stories, we're going to be releasing films. We're going to be releasing animations about the water cycle. And so that's definitely in the coming months, the places for people to learn all of this. Um, both for their own use and to spread information with others. We just so you know, we broadcast this video as well, and uh, you know we'll contact you to see if we, maybe we can use one of those and, and air, air that one of your sessions with yeah. the video. Yeah, we'd lo we'd love to do that. I think I think I think you know what what you're doing is amazing, and it, it, like you said, it's simple, it's basic. But people need to understand that that's really what you got to do. Go back to the basics and help get the surf back to where it should be. Absolutely. Amen to that. I mean, it's, uh, the, all the systems that we need are right at our disposal as soon as we start working in cooperation instead of confrontation with nature. All right. Yep. If our listeners want to learn more, Zach, where can, uh, where can they go? Yeah, where they can go to www.waterstories.com that's our educational platform and www.elementalecosystems.com that's my contracting company where we do this work for clients great well hey Zach really appreciate you coming on the show we're certainly going to contact you again in the next couple of weeks get some more information because I think what you're doing is fantastic and I, I think we need to help get that word out for to everybody that uh, listens to the show so, again, thank you for being a special guest tonight. We appreciate that. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, thank you both for having me. Really appreciate the conversation. Great. Yeah, have Thanks. a good evening and stay safe from COVID. <laughs> you too. All you right. too. Thank you. Thanks, Zach. And the most important, Chris and I want to tell all of our listeners again for this year, which didn't change from last year, is please, what, help. Chris? Help keep, keep our planet blue. Blue. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Have a good week and stay safe. Thanks good night. Folks. Have a good week. Projects. Yeah. Are you, are, are you guys KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Mm.